Hey everybody, this is Adam. Welcome to another episode of the Almighty Podcast. What is this, uh, Adkins episode 8? It is. We are we are moving uh, right along. We're on our episode 8, but we're already, you know, pretty well into season 2 of this show. And to my knowledge, there's what, four seasons? Is that right? Three? I four? think there are three out and four just got uh, approved, is what I believe. Okay. Yeah, and so this episode, we're covering what? Episodes 16 and 17, right? That is correct. They were some good ones, man. I, I am uh, I'm pretty excited about it. There's a part of me that wishes we had ended with episode 16 so we could have some fun uh, guessing. Uh, but, you know, we watched both, so they were pretty good. Yeah, episode 16 uh, definitely had an edge over episode 17 as far as quality or thrill is concerned. But, you know, sometimes you have to have that foundational setup episode uh, like I think we have in episode 17 that sets us up for a killer number 18 in this case. So Yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you. I think 18 is going to be really, really good. Uh, but let's let's go ahead and deep dive into these episodes, man. It's, uh, episode 16, you know, we'll pick right up at the end of episodes 15 where Todoroki's frozen those robots. Yeah, there's a little bit of recapitulation here, which is this this idea that we've already seen this thing uh, you know, take place already, and now they kind of back up uh, the story a little bit, give us a little bit more detail. Um, so we see uh, that Todoroki has frozen this ground, he's frozen the robots, and we start to see a little bit more of the specific fallout from that. Instead of a, just a bunch of stunned students standing around, we find out that one of them was pinned up under one of these robots. Actually, two of them were pinned yeah, up under a falling them. robot, Kirishima and uh, Tetsu Tetsu guy. Well, and I guess I was kind of under the impression that Todoroki had frozen these things when they were kind of off-kiltered, so that way they would... I guess, fall and maybe create like an earthquake or something. But I didn't think he did it maliciously to like hurt anybody else. But now I'm kind of wondering if maybe he didn't care all that much, you know? Yeah, and I wonder... He certainly didn't stop and turn around and make sure everyone was okay, so... And I wonder if there is room for students to actually get, like, severely hurt or even died. I mean, Kirishima comes up out of this thing. He, he You know, he, he's the guy that whose quirk is to harden. Right. Uh, and he breaks up through the robot, and he is super upset. because He's like, if anybody else were down here beneath this thing, they probably would have been killed. Yeah, and then you've got Tetsu Tetsu who pops up right behind him, and he basically says the same thing, and he has the same quirk, except he turns his body into metal, yeah, like, he's uh, like, like in Smash Brothers or something. Yeah, he's like Colossus from the X-Men. He's got oh, that yeah, organic just like Colossus. metal. It's like that. Yeah, so I just, yeah, I'm right there with you. Like, I kind of wonder if in previous years there have been students that got incredibly hurt or possibly even died. Well, they did say that they could use their quirks any way that they wanted to. I mean, and I felt like, I think I might've even said this in the last episode that if they just give them that kind of open range, free license to use their quirks, however, like injury and possibly worse is a potential reality because there's no restraint communicated. At least I don't remember them saying, okay, you can do everything up to this kind of like they did with the hero versus villains thing where he was very clear. This is the point at which you, you, you know, you shall not pass this, this line when it comes to leveraging your quirks against your fellow students. I don't remember there being a line drawn in the sand for this. I don't think that there was at all. Now, that being said, you know, it is uh, a high school where they're prepping people to be heroes to fight villains. So sure, I guess if you can't survive the preliminaries, then, you know, you probably wouldn't have made it too far out into the real world anyways, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I guess that's that's real cold. I mean, you, you, it is. You, send, you send Teddy Ruxpin to go tell your, you know, tell the parents that your son or daughter died playing a game for, uh, you know, nationally televised entertainment as a high schooler, you know, like that's a tough conversation yeah. to have. It probably is, but I bet he's got some practice at this point. <laughs> Plus he's so cuddly. Yeah. 
Well, so let's see. Right after the uh, the robots fall, and we've got, you know, last week we had talked about how we thought Midoriya was going to make it out of this without using his quirk. And I didn't really see this one coming. He basically finds a piece of the robots and uses it like a shield. And somehow he's able... I guess I'm kind of confused on this because he made it seem like just holding it up as he's being punched by one of these robots was enough to like block it all without yeah. using any powers. But these robots are like decimating other people. So I don't know. I kind of felt like that was a weak getaway, but he's using this piece of a robot like a shield and he's just running away and that's how he gets past it which is kind of like eh okay he also uses that piece of that that little bit of armor to literally disarm one of the robots like he anticipates this attack and kind of steps sidesteps a little bit and then swings this piece of armor and and shreds the arm off of this robot creating this this window of opportunity for him to blitz out of there so he's using something you know, this piece of scrap, this piece of trash, really, for defensive and offensive capabilities, which, again, plays up, you know, his his mental elasticity, that he's he's a pretty sharp kid, and they, they yeah. continue to um, keep that a highlight of his character, which I appreciate. Yeah, and I really liked Bakugo. Uh, I mean, Bakugo was able to pretty much just use his powers to fly over, along with some of the other students, the tape guy. Uh, yeah, what's Santo. His name? I think Santo, his name is Santo. Yeah. Yeah, they were both able to just kind of fly over the robots, and then there was this really awesome scene with uh, Momo. She creates a cannon and just blows them all away. Yeah, so all of a sudden, the robots just start blowing up indiscriminately, and all the students are like, what is going on? And you turn around, and Momo has got this giant cannon, and she's just laying waste to these things. And of course, because of how her power works, her like her suit is split open down the front half. like She's literally undone like her shirt. Uh, to be able to generate the the cannon of the size that she had, the caliber that she has. But man, if it wasn't effective. Yeah, it's a really good thing that she's not bashful. You know, yeah. like if she was shy, her quirk would be pretty worthless. Yeah, if if, if Momo was a prude, she would be yeah. completely useless. But it seems like she's the first one to get out there and get like totally naked and just create all kinds of crazy equipment for everyone to use, you know. Yeah, Momo um, the Mennonite does not work. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, and, and so we th then they go on to this next obstacle, which I thought was kind of interesting. It's just this giant pit, basically, with like plateaus in between and then ropes connecting the plateaus. And you just got to get from point A to point B, right? Yeah. I mean, and this this looks a, a bit like I pictured the Shattered Plains in the Stormlight Archive books. Have, have you read any of those? No, I haven't. I haven't. Dude, you need to get on those. Brandon yeah. Sanderson, Stormlight Archive. They're I've massive heard, books, but they're I've so, they're so good. good. They are I'm excellent. A, I'm reading through The Magicians right now, and once I finish The Magicians, I'll have to add that one onto my list. Please do. And then once once you read the first one, uh, first two, I've got posts that I've written for uh, over at Nerds on Earth that cover those books in, in some oh, pretty cool. interesting ways. So when you awesome. get to that place, or listeners, if you're there now, you can search Nerds on Earth for the Stormlight Archive, and I've written a couple articles about the, the magic that Brandon Sanderson pulls, especially as it per pertains to perspective inside of those books. So... But they, that's yeah, awesome. It's, it's the shattered planes look. It's it's a bunch of plateaus connected with these little ropes. Um, and there are some characters who don't even hesitate. Uh, you know, Bakugo just starts blasting his way over top of them. Sue jumps right onto one of the lines and and starts traversing it, kind of like a tightrope. Yeah. Uh, and Midoriya is basically like holding the uh, shield that he's created. Like got it wrapped around his body, and he's upside down, like shimmying across these ropes. Yeah. And I loved like uh, Ida. Poor Ida was like, hey, oh, my brothers are watching. I really hope I don't look silly doing this. And he gets on the tight ropes, and it looked like he was using his engine legs to kind of propel himself across the rope. 
Yeah. And then present Mike is like, oh my gosh, you look like a fool. <laughs> like a poor guy, can't get ahead. I started wondering too why it was that there weren't as many. So we just, Obstacle 1, Todoroki does his best to kind of sabotage anybody that is coming up behind him, which is fair play according to the rules or lack thereof um, for this obstacle course. But nobody seems to sabotage the ropes. Like, they're, they're totally leaving them open. So, for instance, like, if Mina, who's the lady that, uh, like, secretes that weird acid from her feet, if she were to walk across any of those ropes, nobody could use them behind her, presumably. Like, why weren't more students actively trying to uh, sabotage those that were coming up uh, from behind them and, and cutting these ropes off and, and creating for themselves a tremendous advantage. I, I didn't see any of that at this, uh, this obstacle. You know, I think some of it, this kind of ties into something I wanted to talk to because I, I think it's just a lack of experience. Uh, most of these kids is really kind of the first time they're getting to wide open use their powers like this, it seems like. And, you know, there's a kind of a throwaway line, it felt like, uh, from President Mike and Eraserhead, where they're talking about Class 1A and how it seems like everyone in Class 1A is so far ahead of all of the other classes. And, you know, President Mike says something like, oh, well, you must be teaching them something great, Aizawa, because your class is doing really great. And he says, no, it, it has nothing to do with me. And that's when President Mike throws out this line like, well, you've heard it here, folks. You're a trash teacher. And I, <laughs> like, I love their interactions. But Aizawa is serious, and he says, you know, the thing is, Class 1A has learned not to hesitate. They they are getting ahead because they're not worried about what's behind them. They just know they have to move forward. Yeah, so I wonder how much of it is just them not really thinking about trying to betray their fellow teammates. You know what I mean? That could be. I mean, they did, they did say something earlier on in the episode about how the Class 1A folks who were involved with the USJ incident have already acclimated to fear a little bit and know that the answer is to respond in the face of fear, not to just stand about. Um, so that they are definitely a class of action. But, you know, that's not to say that some of the other students who were up there in that, that lead pack couldn't have also participated in the sabotage. It just struck me as weird that, like, if I had a quirk and was trying to win something and I had the option to do something that would, you know, cripple or, well, not like physically cripple, maybe. I'm, I, I don't know. I might lean towards the dark side a little bit. But, uh, <laughs> but to at least slow them down, I would absolutely 100% be doing that. Yeah, well, and you know, it's interesting. I I don't want to pass this up too quick, but I, I know that this scene where they're trying to get across these ropes or where they introduce a really neat character from, I don't think she's class 1B, but she's the support class. Her name's Hatsumi. And she has, like, a, a jetpack on and, like, boots that help her levitate. Like, so she gets to show off some pretty cool stuff from a whole different class, and it didn't seem like she hesitated at all. No. Like, she walked up, saw the problem, and then she was like, you know what? This is perfect. All of the CEOs out there are going to see my awesome babies, which are her gadgets, and they're going to want to sponsor me immediately, and she gets across with no problem. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. Like, other than that, for the most part, they're either people standing around or people jumping across, like getting over with no problems. Yeah, her her rig that she had on her kind of reminded me of the ones that the folks used in Attack on Titan. It like shot out cables and then it mm -hmm. reeled her in a little bit. Yeah. Um, and she as, as much as she was building and, and hyping up her babies in this tech, when she takes off, there was this camera angle in the animation that I totally thought that she was just going to swing down and slam into the side of one of the platforms. <laughs> 
and it was going to be super anticlimactic, but totally funny. Um, but she does. She she pulls it off, and this won't be the last of her that we see in these in this pair of episodes. But it is the last that we see her. I think in this one. I think so. But I get the feeling she's going to become more of a main character. I guess we'll keep watching and find out. Yeah. Um, but what I was going to get to. So right after this obstacle course is when we get to the final obstacle course, which was really neat. Uh, it is basically a giant minefield where all of the students have to try and get across it. And, the, of course, the first student, the person that's been in first place this whole time, is uh, Todoroki. Right. And uh, you're talking about sabotaging other people. I was really surprised that whenever he got up to this minefield, he didn't just immediately freeze it. Because in my mind, I'm like, well, he's so far ahead of everybody else, he could just freeze it and then walk on ice. And he would be totally fine, but everyone else would probably be hesitant. But I guess maybe, I don't know, I, I, maybe we don't have a good idea of how far between him and Bakugo there was, because we know Bakugo was in second place. Yeah, see, I got the impression, especially from later on in this same episode, that he was keeping, he was preventing himself from freezing the minefield actually to sabotage the students behind him, as if that that thin veneer of ice would have been enough to keep them from being triggered and would have allowed for a slightly easier access for people to get across. So he was picking his way across without using the ice to leave those mines active for the people coming behind them. And President Mike had said that they're not terribly dangerous, that they're not like actual like war-grade mines or anything. But it immediately, I, I, I thought that you know, I'm I'm always waiting for where the villains are going to come. And, right. you know, for me, I'm like, man, this is the you know biggest thing in this world is this sporting event. Why wouldn't the villain strike here? So I immediately started to think of um, Child's Play 3. You know, the, are you familiar with the Chucky movies at all? No, that's actually, I have not seen any of the Chucky movies. Oh, I love them. Um, Child's Play scared the mess out of me when I was a kid, but now oh, yeah. I, am, I am such a tremendous fanboy. And in, in the third Child's Play movie, there's this staged battle between um, uh, like a military school's classes, and they have rifles that are loaded with the like paint-tipped rifle cartridges so that, you know, one shoots red and then another one shoots blue. And that's how you could tell if you're hit by the opposing team. But Chucky slides uh, into the equipment sh uh, shack or whatever, and he replaces the red-tipped paint cartridges with live rounds so that when kids get shot with these things, they see red, but it's like actual blood. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I was like, man, if the villains pulled a similar stunt and messed with these mines, no one would know until it was too late. And it could conceivably, this is where I thought that this would have been really smart on behalf of the villains. It would have conceivably taken out some of the best upcoming hero talent or at least someone vying for that honor because they, they certainly would have figured out before the, the slow pokes at the back of the field got there, but not necessarily before the top 10 or 15 hit that minefield and started losing limbs. So missed opportunities, villains. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that at all. They could have messed some of the new students up. But, you know, the thing is, though, they've got so much security here that I don't know that they would have been able to get by because it seems like they've got almost every pro hero at this event. Yeah, it definitely would have been tough. It would have been tough. Uh, but I, I guess I, I assumed that Todoroki would have been able to, like, freeze where he stepped. You know what I mean? So, like, keep, like, five feet in front of him, five feet behind him, and then be melting as he goes along. But maybe he's not doing that because he doesn't want his dad to know he, he can use his powers, or yeah. maybe he, he just doesn't want to use the fire powers to win at all, I guess. That's true. Could be. So and I don't know, but he does. sense later on. 
Yeah, he does end up freezing the entire field once uh, Midoriya gets caught up and Bakugo gets caught up. So let's go back a little bit and talk. We've got Bakugo is catching up vastly quickly because he's using his uh, explosion powers basically to fly, which is pretty freaking cool. Yeah, and uh, he catches up to Todoroki and he shouts at him that he shouldn't have declared war on the wrong person, which yeah. is Bakugo's way of saying, I'm number one, not Midoriya. Show me some respect. And now I'm going. I'm going to make you show me some respect by beating you. Uh, so he had closed this this gap um, over the course of the first two obstacles, uh, and is now giving Todoroki a run for his money at the end. And it sounds like Bakuko is just really upset that no one is taking him into consideration as being better or being good. Like he's had no consideration at all since he got to UA. Yeah, and again, Bakugo should have targeted a mine at Todoroki's feet with his blast and just been oh, done he with totally it. totally could have done I don't that. Know. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, dude, why are you not doing this? You're supposed to be smart and stuff. And also probably evil. So why wouldn't you just blow up a mine at Todoroki's feet and take the win? Like, I That's don't a really good point. That. Yeah, because they're fighting and everything. Like They're running and fighting at the same time because yeah. he's like blasting Todoroki who is freezing his hands and arms and whatnot. That's a... I don't know. That's, that's shocking. I can't believe he didn't... I didn't even think of that, though. Like... Yeah, see, that's why you need Bakugo's powers. Yeah. Oh man, don't give me Bakugo's powers. I would totally <laughs> break Bakugo. I mean, I would. I've I've long said that I I would probably lean to the dark side if I had any measure of power like that. That's so funny. I think I most people be would, trusted, right? Um, before we get to what Midoriya does, which I think is where you're heading, I just had a couple of quick show notes because they're kind of showing some of these other heroes, you know, baby stepping their way through this minefield, and I just have a note here that just says, "Is there a dude?" whose head looks like a friggin' comic speech bubble for some reason. Did you see this? No, I didn't catch that. It, he shows up later on in this episode, like, full on, there's a guy whose head is a comic thought balloon. And I have no idea what that quirk is, but when I saw it first, I was like, well, that is a weird way to, like, show what this person is thinking or saying out loud when nobody else has a similar effect. This dude just has, like, a thought balloon for a head, which is weird. So... It looks like his name is Manga Fukudashi. Manga? Really? Mon yeah, M A N G A. Manga Fukudashi. Okay. Um, I did not I like I'm I'm looking at the uh Boku no hero academia.fandom.com so that way I can pronounce their names and, and keep up with them. Yeah. And I don't I can't say I remember him. Like I don't think that that uh I, I don't I don't know. I don't remember that guy at all. Okay, I clicked on him because I'm curious. It says his quirk allows manga to manifest onomatopoeia into reality along with the effects that the sound suggests. Um, that so, that feels like a super overcomplicated quirk. But it's at least it fits his aesthetic, right? He looks like a comic book thought balloon um, or sound effect bubble. So, Well, you know, that's, that's a good point, though. Like, we, There are several people that don't look like they have the, uh, I guess, quirk that they have. You know what I mean? That's, that's an interesting point. So there are some folks like Sue, whose you know, quirk is being like a frog, and... Then there are folks like uh, one of the Class B um, characters is Ibarra Shiozaki, and she looks kind of like a druid, like she has vines for hair. Yeah. And like her quirk ties into that. We get the same thing from Todoroki, this like half and half hot cold thing. But then, well, you then you've got you've got Tokoyami, who is like this weird uh, crow guy, and he has some sort of shadow crow thing. So yeah, and I don't, I'm not even convinced it's a crow. It's just like this weird shadow thing, and I, I don't like his quirk. Aesthetically, it doesn't make sense how he looks, and there are others that do this too. That it's just like what their quirk doesn't seem to have anything to do with how they look. But then there, are the an overwhelming majority of folks 
whose quirk totally has everything to do with how they look. So it's just kind yeah. of, it's just weird. Um, that, that aesthetic choice for some of these people is, is, um, a little random, but yeah, I guess that that's true random. to life, I guess, you know, it's not, yeah. So but there's, there's normally that. some so, sort of relation too, though, and it feels like a lot of these aren't have like nothing to do with each other. I mean, like I had a note on Tokuyami. I mean, his quirk is that he has this shadow that comes out of him, but that seems more like like an an infection or a possession than it does a quirk. Yeah, because it seems like it's a complete individual. He embodies Tokuyami but he can kind of do what he wants or like he has self-consciousness because they talk to each other. We see that happen in episode 17, which we'll get to here in a bit, but they actually have not a full-blown conversation, but like they kind of high-five each other. It's like, hey, good job. Yeah, you know? and I was totally not expecting that thing to talk, the shadow yeah. monster thing. Yeah, well, and you know, it's interesting though because uh, in last season, we saw Aizawa fight off against someone that had a quirk that was like a physical manifestation of their quirk and he can't negate them. So we know that, like, I guess people mm. with quirks like this, it's harder for them to be negated, which is interesting. Yeah, that uh, is So true. maybe that'll come up at some point. I also say this. There's another... You remember Shoji? He's the guy with the crazy arms with the, yeah, like, the malleable uh, appendages at the end. Right, like he can transfer his mouth to them for some reason. Yeah, so in this, in this scene on the minefield, one of his appendages is an ear, which seems incredibly dumb given loud explosions. If well, I were Shoji running around in a minefield, I would be literally all eyes, everywhere eyes. Yeah, that is true. Maybe he was listening for vibrations in the ground or something, but that, I don't feel like that would help with minefields, so I don't know. Yeah, that seemed weird. But anyway, those things aside, we get to see how Midoriya decides he's going to navigate the minefield. It was really cool, too. Uh, I, didn't, I, I wasn't sure what was going on, because you see this scene where everybody's running through the minefield. Of course, you've got Todoroki and Bakugo up at the front. They're kind of duking it out. And we see Bakugo fly forward using his, like, rocket-propelled hands. And uh, Midoriya just says, hey, that's a good idea. Thanks for, at least in the English version, he says, thanks for the inspiration. Yeah. And then you see him digging around in the ground, and all of a sudden, he just skyrockets over everybody. And then they kind of back up, and they show you he's digging up these mines, and he places a whole bunch of them together and slaps them with the shield that he got from the robot earlier and uses it like a surfboard. Yeah. So he's basically the silver surfer. I put boogie board on mine, but yeah, it's exactly That's the awesome. way they did. And it's another example of recapitulation where they show him blasting through the air and then they hit rewind and show like this detailed account of how he got to that point. Um, yeah. Where he's digging them up and stacking them up and then just goes ham on those things and goes flying through the air. And I was not expecting that. There's also this really funny scene while he's flying through the air of Mineta leaping in the air behind Momo, and we don't see any resolution to this yet. We will towards the end of this episode. Um, but it's just funny. It's just this this scene of like a darkened, wild-faced Mo, uh, Mineta flying through the air like with his hands kind of in this I'm-about-to-grab-you uh, form. Uh, towards Momo, and then they just immediately cut away. And I, I mean, you'd have to be a fool not to know where this is heading. Right. And it, it's even, I don't know if this was true in the English version. Again, I'm back to watching the anime as God intended. And it seemed like Midoriya even came up with a name for this like boogie board. Um, it, it was something like Super Explosion Speed Jump or something like that. And of course, just like like any good anime character, he has to call out the name of his attack before he does it uh, and ends up flying... Uh, up to, I mean, on pace with Midoriya or with uh, Todoroki and Bakugo. And then you have 
he, he's kind of losing his momentum, so he's got to slap the shield one more time, and he uses Bakugo and Todoroki as, like, stepping stones um, and slaps the shield down, which, which you know, blasts them back a little bit, gives him that final burst of speed to cross the finish line first. He pulls it out. Um, yeah, and- it was really cool. And, you know, there was a moment there where he's hovering above Todoroki and Bakugo, who are, like, neck and neck. And he says something like, I've got to time my landing just right. And I assumed that he was going to slap them with the shield, like turn mm. it around and just knock them out and then keep <laughs> running. Uh, uh, so I don't, think I don't he's know. that violent. I don't think Midori is there yet. Yeah, that's true. Well, and you know what's funny about that is whenever he finally makes it into the arena, there's a moment where All Might is like, I was really worried about Midoriya being too selfless, but I don't think that's a concern of mine anymore. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of evolved a little bit. Like he's he's he knows that he can be number one if he tries, but he can't let everyone else walk all over him. And so there's we got some good character growth there. There's this really cool they do this a lot in this show where there's this intense Midoriya is celebrating the fact that he's won. All Might is expressing his pride. And the way that they do this is they create all these like gravity chamber lines like from dragon ball z when they're working out in the gravity chamber it's like all these vertical lines that are like shaking and darting up and yeah. down you know like um perpendicular to the ground on the character um and so they they throw all these on all might and bakugo to kind or not bakugo uh, midoriya to accentuate the gravity of that moment literally and then of course midoriya cries because he's the cryingest kid ever and that's just yeah. he's just staying he's just staying um uh, you know, on, on house style for, for who he is and how he works. And I think this is a, in the English version, this is when All Might says something like, God, kid, cool, the water works. <laughs> I don't like, think I don't think I caught that in the uh, in the subtitled. That's funny. Um, then we have a, a kind of brief aside where some of the business class folks are standing off to the side and they're being evaluative of what they're seeing. They are having a hard time processing Midoriya's victory. Yeah, they kind of see him, and they're like, well, he has no obvious quirk, so how would you guys market this? And then they start talking about how, well, it's great that he got number one, but he's not really marketable in the real world. Like, what can he do? We don't know what his quirk is. How would you even put that out into an agency, you know? And that's when All Might kind of explains, like, well, the business kids just sort of show up and, like, sell stuff and kind of do statistics and and run experiments. (laughs) They have no idea what to do with Midoriya because he's, he's, as far as they have seen he's he's quirkless they have no idea what he can do um yeah so they they have no idea how to market some somebody who's quirk they haven't seen showcased at all and they're gonna have to wait a little while longer too um as we'll see as as we continue on through episode 17 midoriya continues uh to withhold uh the one for all he he, he won't use it um it, it, i'm sure that it'll make an appearance at some point but not yeah quite I, yet. It, it's going to have to, but it, they wouldn't. I, I think it would be dumb for Midori to pull it off this early. And yeah. he knows that too. He does. He does. So then we get to see Mineta ride in on Momo's back um, into the arena. He's like stuck on her with his little purple balls. And his he says, sticky purple balls. Yeah. yeah. And he says, two birds with one stone for some reason. And I was like, does that, is it because he finished and he also got to touch Momo? And then I just, wrote, I think there, that's what it is. I yeah. was like, there is a course of balls joke to be made here, but I'm not going to touch it. There um, is constantly a ball joke when it comes to Mineta. I feel yeah, like <laughs> always, always Naval laser guy is the last person to actually qualify. He's not the last person to finish. Just um, the last one to qualify. Yeah. To make cutoff. I think the number was 42. I think so. I've got the top 10 written down here. Uh, on first place, you know, we've got Midoriya, and then Todoroki actually comes in second. 
Bakugo is third, and he is like super, super pissed off mm-hmm. that he did not get first. Like yet again, Midoriya has outclassed him unexpectedly. Oh, you yeah. know. Uh, and then fourth and fifth place were actually two Class B students. Uh, we had an Ibarra Shiyazaki, who is, we mentioned her earlier, she was the one that kind of looks like a druid, like her hair is kind of made out of this green rope. Okay. Uh, in my notes, I've got female Swamp Thing. Yep. And then uh, Juzo Hononuki, who looks like a Titan from Attack on Titan to me. Oh, the one with the all the exposed teeth. Like no yeah. gums, no, no lips, man. No lips at all. Uh, so I don't know. To me, he and he's kind of got these weird eyes, like almost like he doesn't have eyelids either, which made me think like this is straight up Attack on Titan kind of guy. Could be. And he, he, we get to see him um, flex his quirk a little bit in the next episode too. I think. Yep. Yep. And then uh, uh, in sixth place we had Ida. Seventh place was Tokoyami. Eighth place was Hanada Siro, who is the tape guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we've got uh, n- in the ninth place was Kirishima. In tenth place was Tetsu Tetsu. Tetsu, 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 Tetsu. Yes. Okay. Who ha, Do Colossus. we know what his name translates to yet? N- n- no, I didn't look that up. Was I supposed to? Because if I no, was, I totally I, forgot to look it up. Uh, we're going to look it up right now because I just want to know, that would be like me calling you Michael, 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 Michael. Uh, potentially. I mean, there might not be a direct correlation parallel between the two languages and naming conventions, but let's see what you come up with. Uh, oh my god. Okay, so Tetsu turns in, uh, apparently, according to Google, Tetsu is translated into Iron. So his name is Iron, 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 Iron. Uh, well, that's on the nose. That's, that's yeah. again, keeping with the naming conventions of this show where quirks are, like, the most simplified. This is another thing. So, like, because they name these quirks so generally, how it's got to be so difficult to keep from two people having the exact same name for their quirk. I mean, one guy's quirk, you know, is just like it it's metal or harden, you know, in, in yeah. the case of um uh in the case of Kirishima, his his is just harden, which is super broad and it feels like that covers a lot of people's quirks potentially. But, yeah. You know, it, it well is it seems it is. like it seems weird to me. So class one B is supposed to be like the runner ups from class one A. Tetsu 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 has basically the same uh, power as Kirishima. So why is he not in 1A? Did he just not do as well on the entrance exam? You know what I mean? Could like, I, I don't know why these kids are in class 1B, I guess. Like, some of them, it doesn't seem like they should be. Like, they have decent quirks. I just don't understand if maybe they didn't score high enough or what. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but they, I mean, I would think that those were the hero class, though. I mean, they, he, they've got quirks for it. I think Tetsu 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 kind of cracks me up because he looks like Shawn Michaels. Like, he's Shawn Michaels, but with metal powers. <laughs> yeah, he does a little bit. He's got this weird, like, wrestling mask on. <laughs> Are you sure it's a mask? I, I, I assumed it was a mask. Maybe that's part of his quirk. I, yeah, I just thought it was a part of his body. Um, I could be I mistaken. That kind of goes back to the whole, like... It, are are the aesthetics of some people also their quirk? You know what I yeah. mean? Like uh, the principal is his quirk that he's a teddy bear muskrat thing, or is it something else that we don't know yet? You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. So, but yeah, so that's uh, you know, that kind of sums up the actual obstacle course itself. A lot of people got through, and you know, I was really surprised Ida wasn't higher up with his super fast powers. I kind of assumed he would have just started at the get go, running really fast, and just zoomed past everybody. Yeah. That's curious. I, I didn't think about that, but yeah, he, he you would think that he would have placed higher. What, what, did you say he placed in the top 10, he, right? Yeah, he's in the top 10. He's okay. he's in sixth place, but still, I would have expected him to be in the top three at least, just because he has a speed quirk. Yeah. I mean, getting past, the, like, if he had just started off with his quirk, he never would have been frozen by Todoroki. 
He never would have. He probably would have just ran by the robots. I would think that his momentum, he would have been able to jump across the pit, and then he would have been at the minefield way before anyone else. Yeah, it's true. So I don't know. I was just shocked that he wasn't higher up. I guess. Well, they don't have much time to stand around and collect themselves. It seems like they move pretty quickly from uh, the obstacle race to the second event, which is going to be the cavalry battle. Um, yeah, and did you catch what uh, Miss Midnight said about the people that were disqualified? No. What? Yeah, so she says something along the lines of like, uh, you know, for the people that have succeeded, you will continue on to the next, not battle, but the next event. For everyone else, I've got something else planned for you. It's kind of like, oh, okay. Like, she has taken oh. over for Mineta for me as the creepy character for right now. Ah, okay. No, I must, I must have missed that. They also have this explanation of the cavalry battle. They're going to be in teams of two to four. They could take out other teams, um, and teams are worth varying amounts of points, which are dependent upon the results of the obstacle course. So top finishers um, are going to be worth more than a uh, naval gazer guy. Um, who will be worth a lot less. I think he's actually worth five points, and they scale up five points at a time. Except yep, for then, Midoriya, who's worth 10 million points, which is, outs- I think the highest point um, should have been, if you kept that five-point scale the whole time, the highest points should have been 210 or something like this. And Midoriya's worth 10 million, which is oh, insane. Yeah. Well, and I think the whole idea was to be able to give the the bottom guy a chance, right? Like, the very last person has a chance to get into first place if they can take Midoriya's bandana. Because I guess I, I was under the impression when they said cavalry battles, I wasn't thinking what ended up happening. So let me explain to the audience here what's going on, which I, hopefully you guys are watching along with us. But if you're not, basically, you would you, these people choose their own teams. They're not put on teams. And then there are X amount of people that are basically a horse, and then one person that's a rider that is actually like the offensive who is running around taking bandanas off of other people that represent points and then putting that on their own head. And those bandanas can only be worn from the neck up, is my understanding. Yep. And But I guess I was expecting something else. I don't know. Like that seemed literally this is a cavalry battle. Yep. And so I I totally had this visualized correctly because uh, like – as a day job, I'm a youth director, and we play this game that's similar to this where we all, like students, will put a Burger King crown on their head and choose a mount, and they're running around riding horseback or piggyback um, on another student with pool noodles oh, trying to smack the crown off of somebody else's head to, to that win. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, it is, it is, pretty, it is, it is pretty crazy fun. Um, so I, I totally had this pictured. I mean, the number of people that served as horses was different, but conceptually everything else seemed pretty much the same. So because Midoriya is worth so much, so many points, if you take out his team, then you win, full stop. But it also it, it's also true that if you take out his team, you win, or you can be on his team if he manages to keep the possession of his bandana, which displays his point total, then you will also win. So this could be 100% defensive. Everybody else is going to be playing fairly high offense, but uh, whoever's on Midoriya's team could play this 100% defensive and totally win. And then I think we basically end this episode with him losing his mind. Like, it zooms in on him, and his face turns black and red, and he's oh, like, yeah. oh, no. He's freaking out, because he, <laughs> he doesn't knows know. He knows everyone's know coming after him. Yeah. yeah, and he doesn't know 
who is going to want to be on the team that's going to draw the most aggro from literally all of the other teams. Right. Yeah. Like I, he's sitting there and he's, we kind of start episode 17 with him going, okay, I've got an idea. I know who I want on my team, but do they want to be on mine? Like everyone is going to be coming after me. Uh, so, but before we get into that, did you have any ideas on who you thought would be on his team? I thought, um, so I had two, two folks that I was sure were going to be on his team. And then one that I was like, all right, this would be kind of fun and funny to watch. I was convinced that it's going to be Midoriya, Ida, and Ochako, for sure. Um, and then I thought Mineta being on the team would be hilarious, too, because you would have Tenya for speed. Ochako could use her uh, her power to keep them light, which would make which would enhance the the uh, like the efficiency of Ida's speed. Um, and then if anybody got too close, then Mineta could just throw down a minefield of his sticky balls and slow them down enough for them to regain some ground, which I thought, I was like, all right, I, I can see that playing. What about you? Yeah, that's, that's not a bad idea at all, actually. Um, well, you know, so I assumed that it would be Achako and Ida just because they've been around from the get-go. But whenever he asked Ida to be on his team and Ida told him no, I was really, really shocked. I did not see that coming. I, like, I kind of just assumed that they would keep with this idea of like, hey, these are your three main characters. You know what I mean? Uh, I really wanted Kirishima on his team. I think Midoriya and Kirishima together would be kind of neat. Uh, but they didn't end up going that route, so... I honestly, I didn't even think Mineta was in his mind space. Like, I don't think that, uh, I don't think Midoriya likes Mineta, personally. What did you think Kirishima would have brought to that team, though? Well, I don't know. Protection? Because Midoriya can't use his one for all in this. Otherwise, he's going to get thrown out of this event pretty early. So, in my mind, I'm trying to think like Midoriya knew who he wanted on his team, although we didn't know. Achako pretty much ap- approaches him immediately and is like, hey, let's be on teams, right? Yeah. Um, so I assumed that it would be him, Achako, uh, Kirishima, and I. there was a part of me that really, really, really wanted Bakugo to kind of like chill his ego and be like, hey, you've already got a million, let me protect you, and we can do this together. Yeah. I, I, I thought that, that would have been cool. I had that thought too, but he is his pride would not allow him to do that. It's like no. a physical barrier. There's no way he's overcoming that. Yeah, I I really hope he does one day though, because that character would just blossom. Like he would be a cool, cool character if his ego just wasn't there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's I don't know. I thought that maybe since Bakugo probably wouldn't be a go-to, Kirishima's got this like protection power kind of. I mean, he can harden his body so he could be in the front, which ends up happening. I mean, Kirishima goes to Bakugo and is like, hey. Uh, let's team up because I want to go after Midoriya. You want to go after Midoriya. I've got hardening skills. You've got blasting skills. Like, we got this, bro. Yeah. And, and Bakugo is like, hell yeah, dude, we got this. And they like fist bump and become best friends. And it's so funny, too, because he's standing in the middle of this crowd and all of these people want to be on his team. You know, there's probably like 15 people surrounding him. And he just goes, okay, so what are your quirks and what are your names again? Yeah. And they're like, dude, we're your teammates. Like, we're your classmates. We literally sit next to you in class. See, I thought that was super (laughs) meta for Bakugo to just tell a bunch of his classmates, I don't even know what quirks you have because so many of them, we don't even know what quirks they have, really. That's actually really a good point. Yeah. Uh, He also has this line to Kirishima where he calls him weird hair. And then yeah, Kirishima he's like, hey, weird hair. is like, bro, you and I have almost the exact same hair, which is really funny to me. I get the feeling that they could grow up to be a lot like uh, President Mike and Aizawa. Like, mm-hmm. just really good friends that just constantly bash each other, you yeah. know? So all this um, is kind of taking place during, like, a what do they have, like, 
10 or 15 minutes to pick teams. If even that, it seemed like to me, I, I assumed they gave them five minutes. Like they had no recovery. There was no like, hey, go grab a snack and a bottle of water, get you some Powerade, yeah. a hot dog. Like it was just Miss Midnight was like, all right, you guys ready? Let's do this. Well, there's a little bit of a lull because there's a there's a scene where some of the pro heroes are sitting around. It was Kamui, who's the acorn-headed guy, Mount Lady, who, of course, is unforgettable. How could we ever forget Mount Lady? And then uh, Death Arms, and all these guys featured in the first one or two episodes of the show. We hadn't really seen them besides, like, in little snippets here and there. Like, Kamui was a Pez dispenser, I think, in the nurse's office at one point. Yeah, yeah. Um, But it's kind of cool. They're sitting around, and they're discussing the obstacle course and the cavalry battle, and they talk about how these things are, like, simulations of... um, circumstances that the heroes are going to experience in the field so that when they're talking about the obstacle course, they're like, all right, this simulates a hero working on his or her own, even possibly at the expense um, of other heroes. And then this, this cavalry battle requires and rewards teamwork, which is a necessity in some cases of field work as well. And so they're sitting around talking about how, you know, yes, these are games, but they also have a, a tremendous amount of real life utility. And, Kamui says this thing about uh, joint training with other agencies. Presumably, I I thought he was talking about like different hero agencies. Like there would be several different agencies instead of like one giant government agency. You know what I'm talking about? Like a like a private sector. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So he he mentions this, and it's almost like a throwaway line. But um, actually, uh, my my sister is a firefighter, and so I called her up, and. I didn't tell her what I was asking her about, but I was like, I wonder if there's got to be some sort of real life equivalent to heroes or in this case, first responders having these, these cooperative training simulations so that um, they can be efficient and effective when certain situations crop up. And uh, she proceeded to tell me about how uh, in the case of an active shooter, if if a call goes out for an active shooter, um, she and the firemen, they'll actually enter with the police. They go unarmed. The firefighters do, of course, but they're surrounded oh, wow. by armed police. Um, and as the police clear rooms and halls, they identify, the firefighters identify wounded victims um, as long as that hall or room is cleared. And they can go in and, and do triage, and they use cards to indicate um, to uh, folks behind them if there are folks that can walk or folks that are wounded or people that are critical or just straight out dead. And... Uh, she says that the once once the room is clear, they'd move on to the next with their little police clan and continue on until the whole building has been swept. And so she said once one initial police unit would enter, would make entry first into the, whatever the building the active shooter might be working in. And then they, the firefighters and a second police cohort would enter behind them, um, followed by EMS um, for transport of these victims um, that are marked with these different colored cards. And she says that the strategy ensures the fastest means of care and likeliness of survival for, the, uh, for those caught up in the situation, which is, you know, it's, it's that idea of training with other heroes, other agencies, um, you know, other first responders in this case to maximize efficiency, efficacy, um, in these crazy situations that they might find themselves in. I thought that that was just kind of a neat concept that he just kind of teased out a little bit, that the heroes of this world are doing something very similar to the heroes of our own world. Yeah, that is really, that's a lot of information. That's really neat. Um, I hadn't really, I guess, I kind of took it as they probably, so like with Tetsu, 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 that's four times, right? Yeah, yeah. So Tetsu quadrupled, and uh, 
Kirishima, they both have very similar powers, but they, the likelihood of them ending up on the same agencies probably isn't the same. However, Kirishima may learn something from one of his you know, co-workers that Tetsu, 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 Tetsu never does, and maybe they meet up and train each other. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's really neat. I love the idea of all of these different people, like, getting together and helping each other out because this this situation where there are these three pro heroes are sitting around talking to each other was kind of weird for me because they they have these off-color comments i think it's uh what's his name death arms yeah he makes this comment that in reality all pro heroes are doing are basically trying to be flashier than other pro heroes because mm-hmm. this is just it's a business like any other business like right. i won't get my contract unless i look cooler than you and it's really funny because Mount Lady is like, oh, that's not the case. And that's when Kumui is kind of like, you've never, ever once been, you know, felt bad about taking the spotlight from me yeah. or any other hero. And then it shows like this quick montage of her stealing the spotlight. And it's kind of a, I don't know, it paints kind of a, a dark picture of how being a pro hero is, you know? Yeah. And it could be, you know, this this current reality of how heroes work now and we have this glimmer of something being better or different with this rising class of heroes um if if they learn to be be better or do better you know it's it's at least a possibility it's not to say that the status quo will always be as it is right but let's say we go back to the heroes choosing up their teams and what do we end up for Midoriya's final team? So Midoriya ends up with uh, himself as the rider and then his horse, horses, horsemen, horse peoples um, are Ochako who approaches him and is like, hey, you and I, we're going to team up. We're going to do this. It just makes sense for us to team up with people that we're already comfortable communicating with um, to which he begins crying because he's the criingest kid ever. Right, um, and, and this have... is a weird scene too. For at least in the English version, where uh, she mentions something like, "It's better to work on teams that where we like each other." And he gets like crunches up his face, and he's real emotional about it. And there's a, a part where Mineta pops up in the background, and you look down, and the the ground around Midoriya is wet. And then it pops up with this little text that just says, "You're in question mark," and Mineta's <laughs> making this really funny face. I don't. So I that don't know. Yeah, like I don't know if Midoriya peed himself or if maybe it was from where he was crying earlier. I, I I'm going to go. Crying. It was from where he was crying, probably. I think so. I think he's crying because he's. But that kind of cracked ever. me up. Um, so Achako is horseman number one, horse person number one. Then you have Hatsume, who is the uh, lady with the devices, the young lady with the devices. Yeah, she had shown up earlier to get across the pitfall area. Yeah, and she calls them her babies, like some people call dogs their babies, which is something right. that I can't get behind. But Midoriya <laughs> totally enables and encourages this later on. He, like, in the midst of the actual cavalry battle, refers to her devices as babies. And I was like, oh, come on, man, you got to be better than this. Um, and they actually seem to, like, really click the moment that they talk to each other. Yeah, because she offered him a freaking jetpack. Who wouldn't want to be best friends with the kid that can make jetpacks? Okay, that's a really, really awesome point. And they also basically have the same fandom. Like, I get the feeling that she wants to be a support character for a big hero, and they start immediately talking about all the pro heroes. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And then their last horseman is one that I totally didn't see coming. It's Tokoyami. It's the crow guy with the uh, possession of the or the infestation of the shadow thing as a square. Yeah, I didn't see that one coming either, but it was a very pleasant surprise. Um, and, and, you know, we, we also saw a couple of other people kind of team up. Uh, Mineta is really upset because none of the girls want to team up with him, of yeah, course. And this is where, so yeah, Mineta's wants to team up with a girl, but unsurprisingly, no girls want to be on his team because this game is just too good a cover for some sneaky groping. 
Um, you know, if he's a horse in particular or trying to keep his, uh, his balance as the rider, like hands could go anywhere and he could conceivably have that, oh, I'm sorry, uh, you know, yeah. you know, it's so tumultuous up here or, you know, I'm just trying to hold you up up there. So I have in my notes, maybe this wouldn't be a great youth group game after all, given my, <laughs> my later <laughs> revelation that it's, this game is too good a cover for some sneaky groping. That's um, funny. So yeah, he's all, he's all by himself, but he has a really cool idea to team up with um, the guy with the crazy arms. I, Shoji, yeah. Yeah, Shoji, Shoji, that's right. Cause, and he pitches it like, dude, you can completely cover me up, like envelop me in your weird fleshy arm flap thingies, which is a pretty smart call. Yeah, and of course, so Shoji, he's kind of immediately walking away at first, but then once Mineta says that, he turns around and you see this like alien-like mouth come out of his uh, one of the end of his <laughs> tentacles, and it's like, that sounds great, let's do it. And yeah. so they team up. I did not expect Ida and Todoroki to team up. Uh, that kind of shocked me. Well, I mean, on, on a level it did, after Ida opens up to Midori about how he, Midoriya, is also his, Ida's rival, um, in the same way that Todoroki has established that he's Midoriya's rival, in the same way that Bakugo is, est- is he hadn't really established it, but he functionally is, um, you know, Midoriya's rival, dis- much to his disdain. Um, so Ida's like, listen, I'm going to pair myself up with people who are going to take you down. You've got to be, yeah. you've got to, you've got to come down a couple notches. And um, Ida cools off like he, He's so, um, you know, to, to the letter and get in line, you know, as this class representative and all this stuff. But in this, he's very calm and collected. And he's like, hey, this isn't all fun and games. I've got a legacy to protect. And if yeah. you're in between me and it, you got to go. And I'm going to pair up with, with people who will um, enable that. And he's, he's really respectful about it, which I really liked, because he basically tells him, like, hey, I'm not doing this because I don't want to be on your team. It's more a matter of I got to take care of me. Right. And I thought that was kind of cool. Um, I did not expect him to go to Todoroki, though. And it's interesting because Todoroki has, like, this whole plan. Like, he's got everything planned out, and he's telling everybody on his team, like, okay, you'll do this, you this, this, and this, and we're going to win, basically. Yep. Um, so that was interesting. Uh, I, I really liked the team-ups that we did get, though, that we got some pretty good ones. Yep, and... We also have this line where you you were correct. I, I don't remember who is is trying to get him to do this. It might have been. I think it's Ida. I think I know what Ida? you're going to say. Yeah, because Ida tells him like, okay, so I'm going to be the foreman or the four horsemen or whatever, and you'll be the rider, and you're going to be spitting fire and ice at everyone as distractions, right? Yeah, that's and the that's yep, and that's when uh, and that's when Todoroki is like, no, I I don't use my left side in battle, which I think the left side is his fire side, so. I, it, it sounds is. like maybe I'm onto something here with him being kind of uh, like the Fire Lord or the the Fire Prince Zuko. Yeah, and he throws some pretty sharp shade up at Endeavor, who's standing up in the sounds or in, in the sounds in the stands, and he he's got like this fiery facial buttress thing going on, um, including this like little fiery wispy mustache thing, and he does not look like a pleasant man. So no, um, no, he does not. He doesn't strike me as a pro hero. Like nothing about him strikes me as a hero. No. So we'll have to see how that relationship uh, develops. But you totally called it in the last episode with your breakdown of Todoroki, and and uh, you you nailed it with this idea that he's he's doesn't use his his fire side for this particular reason. And we get to see that I mean confirmed uh, explicitly in this episode. Yeah, yeah, because uh, you know they pretty much once they get their teams, Miss Midnight tells them like, "All right, go at it," and she does tell them a couple of rules like. 
She looks at Bakugo and says something along the lines of, if you purposefully knock somebody over, I will red card you and take you out. So I guess she assumed that there would be people like playing dirty, kind of? Yeah, which seems like the, the best strategy in a cavalry battle would be to take the horse out from underneath the cavalrymen. Like, that's yeah. that's what you do. But I mean, sorry, horses. But it seemed like a weird rule to implement for this. Yeah. Um, but, hey, whatever, you know. So, of course, it starts off, and immediately everyone goes after Midoriya and his gang. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, like, and I guess we all kind of expected that, right? But it's great because they have been given a jetpack by Hatsumi, um, the, the support character, and the moment people get close to him, he just flies off. Yeah. And this is actually when we get to see uh, Hononuki's powers because they're the first ones to kind of come up to him. And they all start sinking into the ground. So it sounds like his powers, like he can sink people or he can create quicksand or something. Yeah, I think I had clicked on his his little bio on that website too. And it says that he his quirk is to soften things so he can create, he can make surfaces soft. Um, I wonder if he could negate Kirishima's power. Oh, I don't know. They, I mean, they are diametrically opposed to one another. Um, yeah, that would so be interesting. That's a good. That's a good question. And we we've kind of had that conversation before about like the different powers, almost kind of being like Pokemon types, you know. Yeah. So I wonder if that still plays in here. Uh, but anyways, you know, he's they're all sinking into the ground. They activate that jetpack and they fly away. Uh, Bakugo tries to fly up and get their bandana, but he can't because that's when the shadow thing like kind of blocks that from happening. That's the moment when Tokoyami and the, his like shadow creature kind of high five each other, and they're like, "Hey, good job! You're watching <laughs> our back." Yeah. Like it's odd that he seems uh, like self aware. I guess it is. It is strange. I, I definitely did not uh, expect him to speak. Like I said earlier in the episode, yeah, it seems a lot more like a possession, like you mentioned. Like it doesn't seem like a quirk as much as it is. Maybe the quirk is that he has got a crow's head, and the he's just possessed, and yeah, he's telling people it's true. a quirk. But they. <laughs> Once once Midoriya's team performs successfully a couple of escapes, then they start turning on one another. I guess they start going for some of the lower-hanging fruit. But in the middle of all of that, um, they start to realize that some of the headbands, which is the objective of this game, is to go around and snatch other teams' headbands because that's their point value. A lot of their headba- uh, headbands have gone missing, and, and they cannot be accounted for, and it's, and it's unsettling. And we find out that this dude from Class B... And his little team has just been running around snatching headbands left and right. He's got, he's got a net full of them already because nobody is paying attention to him at all. He, he's being very um, subterfuge here um, yeah. and sneaky and going around. And he has this conversation. I can't, I think it was Bakugo. Um, yeah, he has this weird conversation with Bakugo because he steals his headband pretty quickly after he attacks Midoriya. Yeah. And then like, they have this odd conversation. Uh, go ahead and tell us a little bit about it. So he basically says that Class B has intentionally been holding themselves back. Like, they've been sandbagging from the beginning. They they hung back during the obstacle course so that they could have... They could be an audience um, to the other quirks, uh, yeah, particularly like, from Class A. And, and I guess pretty much just study up on them. Yeah, and, and so they're beginning to exploit these things. And he says something along the lines of, you know, we had the choice to either, you know, have this tremendous lead right out of the gate or to, to take that tremendous lead from you... Um, now that we're, you know, better acquainted with, uh, how you work, how your quirks work, how you guys work together as teams. Um, so he's, he's been very underhanded, but it's also super smart. Yeah. He even kind of throws some shade at them. Oh man. He straight up pisses Bakugo off. Yeah. Cause he says something along the lines of like, uh, what kind of idiot would worry about the preliminaries? Yeah. 
And he he also there's this amazing shot. It might be my favorite animated thing in this entire show so far. Where there's this amazing shot of Bakugo who's still like up on his horse mounts, and he's just wreathed in these red flames and aura, and he's like all stretched out like he's demonic and uh, like grown. It's so crazy this this one shot of him, and he's just like, "We're gonna kill these guys." He's so mad, and it's yeah, it's. <laughs> I mean, that scene, I was like, "This is awesome! It looks so cool." And Kirishima backs him up. He's like, "Oh yeah, buddy, we got this." You know, like it, immediately they're both like, "All right, before we go after Midoriya, let's kill everybody in one B." <laughs> Man, it, it it ticked him right off, and we've seen Bakugo come pretty close to the line of just absolutely snapping, but this yeah. this sends him. Way over the edge. Um, yeah. Then we get a couple of seconds where we see Mineta and Shoji, and they're actually stealing quite a bit of bandanas themselves, it looks like, because they're running around, and they've got this perfect setup. Shoji's the horse. Mineta is throwing his sticky purple balls at people, and they're getting stuck on them. And then, lo and behold, they've got Sue in this weird, fleshy cave that Shoji <laughs> has created, and she's grabbing people's bandanas with her tongue. Yeah, like, which is super it, smart. That was really smart. Like, I felt like I'm surprised that, that they aren't doing better already. Like, I fully expect them to probably be in the top three spot. Well, they almost got Midoriya's. I mean, they, they, uh, Ochako, I think, steps on one of, um, Mineta's purple balls, and he must have had a really good dump that morning because it was super sticky because they're trying right? to jetpack out of there and it's stick, it's, you know, they're stuck to the ground. Um, and then Sue's tongue is flicking about. Midori is able to definitely dodge. They end up wrecking that boot, which may or may not come back to haunt them later. Um, but yeah, that was a really cool team up. That is a good synergy of those powers where they're protecting not just their headband, the one that they started with by having Sue and Mineta inside of that weird arm flap cave, but every one that they steal also is is kept under wraps, which is super smart. Yeah, yeah. It's I, I really like their strategy. It's really, really smart. So we're left with this cliffhanger at the end of the episode um, where it seems like the cavalry battle is definitely going to uh, escalate from here, if if not from... Because I think the teams are allowed to stay in even if they lose their headband, I guess, to continue to run interference. Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of was... It was under the impression that they have a, an allotted amount of time, and even if maybe at the very beginning you fell out of the competition, that doesn't mean you couldn't come back and get more. So I get the feeling that once time's run out, you know, whoever has most points wins, I guess. Yeah. But now it seems like some of the class A folks are going to switch to just a full on bully mode and just start pounding some class B folks. But I don't think the class B folks are going to be defenseless. Uh, I mean, we no. haven't seen much from them, but it's going to be a knockdown drag out from here on out. Yeah. Um, well, and it, I think even Midoriya makes a mention of their strategy earlier on. He says something like, you know, everybody loves a good underdog. Yeah. And the rules said that quirks couldn't be used to knock people down. And I'm wondering if that doesn't prevent, if it does prevent actually Todoroki from just freezing Midoriya's team. Because at the end of this episode, they're staring like face to face at one another. And they wouldn't technically be knocking down Midoriya's team if Todoroki just straight up froze him and then walked over there casually and grabbed his headband. That's a really good point. But I don't think that, uh, I mean, I guess... That his team could probably ride over because there was a mention earlier that if they touch the ground, like if the riders touch the ground, then they're disqualified. Yeah, I mean, I think I don't think it's going to be that anticlimactic where Todoroki just does that, or at least he might try it. But 
it'll be evaded. I mean, I don't think it's going to resolve that quickly and neatly is what I'm suggesting. Yeah, I don't think so either. I'm really hoping that this is kind of the beginnings of the bouts between uh, Todoroki and Midoriya. Like, I get the feeling that in the next couple episodes, we're going to see them kind of duke it out. Maybe not a lot, especially since this isn't one-on-one combat right now. But I think we're about to see something happen. So I'm excited for that. Well, and I don't know that we're guaranteed one-on-one combat either. So I wonder if, if something will happen that will basically like like bait out Midoriya using the one for all kind of prematurely in the middle of this um, event to, because, you know, if he keeps that 10 million point headband, how do you lose? I mean, unless, unless that system carries forward where it's like in the next one, if you won in the last one, then now you're worth 20 million or whatever it is. There's gotta be some sort of weird power creep to keep, you know, a uh, naval blaster laser guy from getting the 10 million and then all of a sudden be un- being untouchable for the rest of the games. Um, but yeah, I'm curious to see if, if we don't see the one for all come into play somehow during uh, the resolution of the cavalry battle. And if not, like I'm, I'm dying to see when that moment comes, when he chooses, this is it, this is the moment. Uh, that's going to be a that's going to be a big decision. It's going to be a big moment um, for not just for him, but for the narrative of the show. Yeah, I think so too. Because we're expecting we're like fully expecting him to make his announcement at this competition. Yep. Of becoming the next All Might. So whenever he decides to use that power, it's going to be a game changer for sure. Because now it's out, kind of. You know, like people know he's been training with All Might. I I, I would think that someone out there would pick up on the fact that like, hey. Their powers are pretty much identical, you well, know? Todoroki's already kind of mentioned that they're very, very similar. I don't think he's drawn the direct connection. Um, yeah. But he's he's definitely playing in that ball field. Yeah. Well, and I, so I've got two notes here for you. Um, one is, and it's not even something I'm really asking you. I just want to tell you, like, I'm pretty stoked about the fact that they're, it seems like they've kind of got this roulette of games that they're going to be playing to figure out who wins. Because I feel like in a lot of animes, whenever we have tournaments like this, it's just one-on-one showboat power, which don't get me wrong, I love, but this has been a really nice change-up. Um, yeah. You know, it's been nice kind of seeing them get to do different things with their powers and having to think critically other than just, well, how do I defeat this other guy's power with mine? Right. You know, that's been kind of nice. Definitely. Um, and I, I am curious to know, we've seen him in kind of in the background throughout these episodes, but I don't think we saw him in, participating in the Calvary. There's this character from, I believe he's in Class C, like Class 1C, uh, that I had mentioned. I think he may have psychic powers because we saw him like carrying, being carried by people that kind of look dumbfounded through Todoroki's ice. Yeah, Hitoshi Shinsho. That's his name, yeah. So I'm curious to see if, what he's doing in this Calvary thing because he hasn't shown up yet. We know he completed in the top 42, so he's at least competing in the Calvary, but I don't think he showed up in this episode. Yeah, I don't remember seeing him. So, but you would yeah. just think if he had psychic powers, he would be able to just control everybody and basically steal their headbands. True. So, so I don't know. I'm kind of rescinding my psychic powers guess for him, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it might be it might be premature. We'll have to see. Yeah. We, we, we get, it looks like we got some good episodes coming up, man. Definitely. There's there's always something to look forward to when you finish an episode of My Hero. That that much can certainly be said about this show. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm not looking forward to the day when we have nothing to catch up on. You know I what know. I mean? <laughs> what are we gonna do? I mean, I well, we do have that movie though, so that'll be a fun. Uh, That's you know, true. Possible little uh, break between. I think it takes place. What they say between season two and three. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I think it was uh, one of the people over at Hideous Laughter podcast. I think that they were talking about 
how there's a movie. It takes place in between seasons two and three. So we'll have to check it out, man. Definitely. Yeah. Could be some but fun I think, content. Absolutely. Yeah, Will. But I think that'll pretty much wrap us up for episode eight of the Almighty Podcast. Sounds like a good place to stop. I mean, we've been doing two episodes at a time. This is the end of two. We'll be looking forward to episodes, uh, what are we at, uh, 18 and 19 next week. 18 and 19, man. We are just making our way through this. So we'll see you guys next week. See ya. Almighty Podcast is brought to you by the Back Patio Network. You can follow us on Twitter at AlmightyPod or follow at BackPatioNet for all network news. If you enjoyed what you heard, go check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash BackPatioNetwork. You can help support the network, get access to early episodes, and lots of other great stuff. If you want to get to know us, come hang out in our Discord channel. We have lots of fun and would love to have you in there. My name is Adam, and you can follow me on Twitter at TheRealSimso, S-I-M-S-O.